Good morning. Uh, Would you open your Bible to John 14? John 14, we're going to look at verses 12 through 14 today. And as you turn there, I want to uh, ask if you guys have ever heard someone say, um, I want to do great things for God. I want to do great things for God. Maybe you've said that. Not a bad thing if you have. That's, that's a good thing to want to do, right? I want to do great things for God. Um, maybe you can think of others that you would say, man, that person is doing great things for God. Or you read a biography, man, they did great things for God. Candace and I went to a Bible school called Moody where uh, I feel like that must have been the, the test of admission. On the application did it say, I want to do great things for God because it was a full-time ministry school. And then when we went there, everyone's, everyone's just saying, I'm going to change the world. I'm, I'm going to do great things for God. That's what I want to do. And again, there's, there's nothing wrong with that desire, right? But what I want to say this morning, what, what our text is going to tell us this morning is that there's not a class of Christians who do great things for God. There's not some Christians who just live the Christian life and, and they go their way, and then there's, there's some that reach another level, and they do great things. No, that's, that's, that's not true. Different Christians do different things for God. We have different ministries. We have different callings. But what Jesus is going to tell us today is that all believers will do great things for God. All believers will do great things for God. If you're a believer this morning, that means that you, in your life, will do great things for God. That once your life is done and everything is known, that, that we can look at your life and say, the Lord did great things through him. The Lord did great things through her. They, they made a great impact on the kingdom of God. They made a great impact for the glory of Christ. Every believer in here, Right now, ask yourself, do I, do I believe in Christ? Do I come uh, through Christ today? You can know that what Jesus is going to tell you today, we're going to look at today, is you will do. You are doing. You have done great things for God. Let's look at John 14, 12 through 14, and we're going to see what Jesus means in this passage and how we should go about responding to what he says here. So John 14, verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. These are amazing words from Jesus to his disciples in the upper room. And what we see in this text, there's really two parts. We see an unbelievable claim, and an incredible promise. We see an unbelievable claim, and we see an absolutely incredible promise. And what we want to do today is just look at this claim and look at this promise 
And as we have already prayed, pray that God would speak to us, change us, encourage us, equip us, motivate us, compel us, cause us to worship him with our minds and hearts and lives. And so let's look first at the unbelievable claim in verse 12. Verse 12, Jesus gives an unbelievable claim. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, which, which we've seen a lot in the Gospel of John. This is basically Jesus' way of saying, listen up. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. This is the unbelievable claim. You will do greater works than me. So Jesus tells his disciples, he says to anyone who believes, you will do greater works than me. Now let's unpack that for a few minutes, okay? So, so first, who is this claim made about? Look, look at the text, verse 12. Who is this claim made about? Whoever believes, right? Whoever believes in me. Whoever believes in me. Now, now this picks up from last week. Look at last week's passage where Jesus said in verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. A few verses earlier, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when he says, whoever believes in me, what Jesus is saying is, you believe that I am the Son of God. You believe that I am the way to God. You believe that no one comes to the Father except through me, and you have put your trust in me. Whoever believes in me, whoever has trusted in who I am and, and my work, the good news of salvation in me, that's who this is referring to this morning. So, again, if, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you have trusted him as the only way, if you know that he is the Son of God, then Jesus is talking to you this morning. He's not talking to a select group of Christians. He's not talking exclusively to his disciples. He's not talking to first century Christians. He's talking to whoever believes. He's given instructions to whoever believes. So next he says, anyone who believes in him will also do the works Jesus does, the works that I do. So what is Jesus referring to when he says the works that I do? And again, I want us to rely on the context here. Look at verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Right. So in verse 11, when Jesus says, believe me, Believe that I'm the Father, the Father's in me. But if, if you don't, believe on account of the works. What he is referring to are all the miraculous works he has been doing. He said the same thing to the Jewish leaders in John 10. He said, if you don't believe me that I'm one of the Father, then look at the works. Look at what I've done. He says in John 9, before he heals the blind man, that we have to do the Father's works. And then he does the work of healing the man who was born blind. In chapter 5, he heals the lame man, and he says that my Father is working and I am working. So when Jesus refers to his works in the Gospel of John, Jesus is referring to his signs, his miracles, the, the things that we have seen him do. He says, you're going to do the works that I do. And so... I would like the, the kids this morning to help us out, all right? So anyone that's, uh, I guess, in the sixth or under grade, I'd like you to help us out. And can, can one of the kids just call it out, say, what was Jesus' first work? What was his first miracle? He turned the water into wine. That's right. He's at a wedding in Cana, and they're out of wine, and they want to keep on having the party. They want to keep on having the feast, and Jesus transforms water 
into not only wine, but the best wine. And tons of it. Tons of it. That, that was his first miracle. Now, now what, what happened next? What, what was some of the other miracles that he had in the Gospel of John that we've seen so far? It doesn't even order, but what, what were some other ones that, that you guys remember? Healing the man born blind, that's right. He, he took a man who was born blind, and he gave him sight. He, ga- he gave a man that was born blind sight. That's what's one of the works Jesus did. What else has he done? Yeah. He raised Lazarus from the dead. How long was Lazarus dead for? Do you remember? Yeah, a few days, right? Four days. He, 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 he was dead dead. He was completely dead. And Jesus comes and he raises him from the dead, gives him life. And a few chapters later, we see Jesus having supper with Lazarus, having supper with a man who was dead. He raised Lazarus. Can you guys think of any other works Jesus did? Something about a meal one time. Some people were hungry. What did he do? Yeah, he fed the 5,000 with a single lunch. Took a single lunch and fed 5,000 people. And then later in the day, he walked on water. <laughs> walked on water to his disciples as they were in a storm. A man came to him for his sick son, who, who, was, who was several days' journeys away, and said, come with me, come heal my son. And Jesus said, he's healed. And, and he was. That very moment, Jesus healed him. These are the works that we have seen Jesus do in the Gospel of John. He's transformed water into wine. He's healed the sick. He's made the lame to walk. He's multiplied a single meal. He's he's demonstrated his control over nature. He's given sight to the blind. He's even raised the dead. And now in the upper room, he says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. What? Like, really, Jesus? Really, are you telling me that I can take this bottle of water and turn it into a delicious cup of coffee without the grinds? (laughs) Just doing it, right? still water. It is still water. Are you telling me that I can walk across Oxford Lake? Just go, go over there and sort of walk, walk in. I, I want to go to the center. I want to get to that little island on the lake. Can I just walk across and do it? <laughs> no one can do that, right? Are you telling me I could walk over to a graveyard and call someone's name and bring them back to life? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? That's exactly what the disciples were thinking. You'll do the works I do. So Jesus, knowing this is what they're thinking, he doesn't say, no, 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 you're, you're, you're getting me all wrong. Not, not those works, not, not like that. You're, you're, you're misinterpreting me. No, no, what does he do? He says, greater works than these will he do. He doesn't just say, you'll do what I've done. He says, you'll do greater things than I have done. I turned water into wine. You'll do something greater than that. I made a lame man walk. You'll do something greater than that. I, I made a dead man come back to life, and you'll do something greater than that. It's an unbelievable claim because it literally is not believable, right? I mean, what could be greater than those things? What, what could be greater than raising the dead? How can you up the ante from bringing the dead man back to life? What could Jesus possibly mean here? Well, a number of answers have been given to this question. There's a number of ways that, that interpreters have looked at it, but what you want when you have multiple options is you, is you want to look at what is, what is the most contextually compelling reason. By that I mean understanding 
the author himself and, and how, how he has written this book and, and the words he's used and the themes he's woven together, um, what can we learn from John about the greater works? And the most compelling answer I saw in studying this week, it, it comes from John 5. Turn back with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, Jesus has just made a lame man walk. And he did it on the Sabbath. He, he did it on the day where you're not supposed to work. As an intentional confrontation of the religious leaders who were against Jesus. And he says in verse 17, My father is working until now, and I am working. And, of course, this riles up the Jews because they understand, they rightly understand that when he said that, he was making himself equal with God. He was making himself equal with the Father. And so that's the context of what Jesus is about to say. And in, in, in verse 19, he's, he's responding to the Jewish leaders who are angry that he made himself equal with the Father and angry that he has done this work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says in verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And look at this. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. So greater works than me making this lame man walk. Will the Father show me? He's, he's going to show me greater things, and I'm going to do those greater things, and you're going to marvel. What are those greater things? 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So he's saying to the religious leaders, the Father is going to give me greater works than this, greater than bringing a lame man to walk. The Father is going to show me the works of calling people out of death to life, and not just physical death, but you see, he says eternal life. He says calling them out of judgment to salvation. The greater works that the Father gives Jesus is the works of calling people out of death and judgment to life and salvation, from not honoring the Son to honoring the Son. And he does this. How, how is Jesus going to do this? Look at 24. He says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So Jesus is going to do this greater work through his word. Through the hearing of his word, people will come from judgment to life, from death to eternal life. This is the greater work that Jesus is going to do. So back to John 14 then, Jesus tells his disciples You'll do greater works than these. You'll do greater works than turning water into wine. You'll do greater works than even raising a dead man back to life. If we take what John is saying in John 5, what Jesus is saying in John 5 as interpretive of, of a greater work, then what Jesus is saying is that believers are going to accomplish the greater works of salvation as they preach the word of Christ. Believers are going to accomplish the bringing people out of judgment, out of death, into life, to God, 
as they preach the word of Christ. That's the greater works that Jesus is giving them to do. And church, believe me that these works are greater. These works are greater. They're not just external. They're in the heart. And they're not just temporary. They're forever. They're deeper and they're longer lasting. Think about it this way. In his public ministry, Jesus called a dead man back to life. But Lazarus died again. But through the proclamation of the gospel that we make, Jesus is going to raise through our work He's going to raise the spiritually dead to eternal life with God. And that life will continue really physically forever and ever and ever. These are the greater works that we get to do. We get to go and bring people from death to life through proclaiming the gospel. A deeper, longer lasting work, an eternal work, a greater work than anything Jesus did in his public ministry. Than anything he did in his public ministry. But the question is how? How is this going to happen? Because in reality, we are weak. We are incapable. We can do nothing to touch the heart. We can do nothing to extend a life. How can we do deeper and more eternal works being who we are? Well, look at verse 12 again. Jesus says how? He says, because I'm going to the Father. Because I'm going to the Father. What Jesus means there is is not, I'm going to be gone, so you need to take my place. No, no, what he means is, my going is going to enable you to do this. My going is somehow going to equip you to do these greater works. How does that work? Jesus' departure to the Father enables believers to do greater works in two ways. First, when Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, what does he mean? Does Does he mean in a few hours he's going to go ascend to heaven? No. What Jesus means is that in a few hours, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried. He's going to be sentenced. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be buried. Three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. And a few weeks later, he is going to ascend to the Father. That's what he means when he says, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father through the cross. He is about to do the greatest work. So so, so understand this. When Jesus says you're going to do greater works, he's referring to his public ministry. He's referring to the works he has done up to this point. But in a few hours, he is going to do the greatest work. He is going to die a substitutionary death for sinners that purchases eternal life for all who believe in him. Up to this point, with the disciples, that that work is still future. And so the gospel is not fully revealed yet. But once Jesus goes to the Father, the gospel will be fully revealed, and they can go and preach the full gospel. And the greater works of believers will come to fruition. He has to go to the Father. He has to go through the cross for the greater work of proclaiming the gospel to happen. the, The gospel needs to happen. He needs to die still. He's about to die for sinners. But but second, Jesus' departure to the Father, it enables believers to do these works because when he goes, he will send the Spirit. A few chapters later in the Upper Room Discourse in John 16, 7 and 8, Jesus tells the disciples, 
it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay, so, so I said a few minutes ago that we cannot touch the heart. You can't touch someone's heart. You can speak to them. You can, you can encourage them. You can uh, argue with them. You can, you, can, you can do all you can, but you cannot touch the heart. But when the Spirit comes, whom Jesus will send when he goes to the Father, he will empower our witness. And this verse says in John 16, 8, that he will convict the heart. He will convict the world. As we share the gospel, he will bring conviction with that sharing. And so he's going to enable us to do the greater work that when we preach the full gospel of Jesus dying for sinners and rising again, he's going to take that. He's going to prick the hearts of people. He's going, as happens in Acts, Peter preaches the gospel in Acts, and they were cut to the heart. He said, what shall we do? The Spirit does that, but he does it through Peter preaching the gospel. That's how the greater works happen. And so to summarize, here's the meaning of his unbelievable claim. We said at the beginning, the claim is, you will do greater works than me. Here's what it means. Those who believe in Jesus will carry out his saving works as they proclaim his word in the power of the Spirit. I'll say that again. Those who believe in Jesus will carry out his saving works as they proclaim his word in the power of the Spirit. So you will do greater works than Jesus as you proclaim his word in his Spirit and see him transform lives, bring people from death to life. These are the greater works we've been given to do. It's an unbelievable claim, and it's a true claim. Now Jesus changes the subject from our works to our prayers. And he follows up this unbelievable claim with an incredible promise. Look, look down at verse 13. Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus, Jesus begins talking about prayer, and what he says is fairly straightforward. He tells the disciples he will do whatever they ask him, provided they ask in his name. And in case that sounds too good to be true, or, or we think maybe we heard it wrong, he says it again. I will do anything you ask in my name. That's the incredible promise. I, I'll do anything you ask in my name. Anything that you ask in my name, I will do it. That is an incredible promise. Let's unpack this statement together. Notice that Jesus says, whatever you ask, whatever you ask. What does whatever mean? Whatever. Whatever means whatever. And in case we're not sure what whatever means, verse 14 helps us if you ask me anything in my name. So whatever means anything. Anything means whatever. It's, it's the most all-encompassing word Jesus could use. Whatever, anything. He uses a word that invites us to think and to imagine and to make big requests. He uses a word that opens things up for us. Whatever you ask, anything you ask. But let's understand what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying from here on out, guys, 
I am your personal genie in a bottle. He's not saying that. He's not saying that, that if you come to me, then your wish is my command. It's not what he's saying. Why is that? How do we know that? Because he qualifies it, right? He, he does say whatever. And that's an all-encompassing term. But then he adds a qualification. You know, a few weeks ago, we, we took Lucy to the zoo for her birthday. And the zoo has a gift shop. It's her birthday. So I was looking around the gift shop while her and Candace were in the bathroom. I thought, we should get, let Lucy get a gift. And I'm looking at the prices. It's like, this stuffed animal is $80, you know, and just ridiculous prices, all right? But I'm like, man, it's her birthday, though. There's a gift shop. She loves to get so, so. So I told her when she came out of the bathroom, I said, Lucy, it's your birthday. We're so excited. It's your birthday. You can get whatever you want under $10. <laughs> whatever you want, as long as it's under $10. I said, whatever. Because I wanted her to be able to walk around the store and, and look at different things and explore it. And I said, maybe this or maybe that. I wanted her to have that experience. But, but I said $10 because it's about all we could spend on her birthday at that point. So I qualified it. I restricted it based on how much I could realistically spend on an extra present for her for her birthday. Now, when Jesus says, whatever you ask, he qualifies it. He, he restricts it. But, but unlike me... He doesn't restrict it based on what he can do. He doesn't restrict it based on his capability. He doesn't doesn't say, you can ask whatever you want as long as you don't ask for something too big. As long as it's under $10, you're good. No, he he doesn't do that. He qualifies whatever you ask by saying, provided you ask in my name. And so he doesn't restrict it based on what he can do. He restricts it based on who he is. That's the qualification. Whatever you ask in my name. You know, this phrase in my name is, is going to come up repeatedly in the next few chapters of the Gospel of John. Jesus is going to make a big deal about praying in his name. You probably say it often. You probably teach your kids to say it from early on, just to end their prison, Jesus' name, amen. It's a good thing. Keep doing that. But we need to realize this morning that the words in Jesus' name are rich with significance. They're not a tagline that Jesus tells us to pray or else we are bad prayers. They're words that are rich with significance. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Here's my attempt at a definition of that question. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray believing in his name in accordance with his will for the sake of his glory. Okay, To pray in his name is to pray believing in his name according to his will, for the sake of his glory. Believing in his name, according to his will, for the sake of his glory. Let's just talk about that. To, to pray in his name is to pray believing in Jesus. It's to pray believing um, in who he is and what he has done. It's to pray believing the good news, believing the gospel, believing that he is the only way to the Father, believing that you have come to the Father through him. If you are praying in Jesus' name, you are praying trusting the whole gospel, believing the whole gospel. If you believe Christ, then you can pray in Christ's name. You can pray in Jesus' name. You're united to him. You are in him. You're literally in him. You've been united with Christ, and you're praying in his name. 
Second, to pray in Jesus' name is to pray according to his will. John, who wrote this book, wrote some letters later in the New Testament, and he says in John, 1 John chapter 5 that we know that if we pray according to his will, then we have what we ask for. And so John understands this as, as somehow relating to what Jesus wills. And, and, and what that means is that we search the scriptures, we, we come to know Jesus better, and as we come to know Jesus through the scriptures, we pray according to what we find of Jesus. We pray according to his will. We pray according to his desires. We pray his prayer, his thoughts after him. We pray his heart after him. So it's, it's to pray according to his will. And third, to pray in his name is to pray for the sake of his name. It's to pray for his glory. It's to pray with the heart that desires the magnification of his name in all the earth. It's to pray as a worshiper of Christ. It's, it's to come to Christ and, and pray knowing that he's not a genie in a bottle to give us something, but that he is the king of the earth. He's the savior of the world, and we want him to be glorified. So to pray in Jesus' name is to pray so that he would receive all the glory. And if you're doing that, if you're praying in his name, believing in who he is, making a request according to his will, seeking his glory, then here's the promise. Jesus says, this will I do. I will do it. If we make any request in his name, he will do it every single time. He will do what we ask Every time he will say yes to every request we ask in his name. That is the incredible promise. And kind of like the unbelievable claim, the incredible promise is incredible because we kind of wonder is this credible? Really? It's difficult for us to take Jesus at his word here. That's for one reason because it seems like this isn't true in our experience. Have you ever made a request in Jesus' name and had him say no? Haven't we all made a request in Jesus' name and had him say no? What are we supposed to do with this promise in light of those experiences? Well, this morning I want to offer a few different ways to think about that. It's important because What's the use of a promise if we experience something that we feel like it's saying that's, that's not true? You're lying. If, if, if he's lying, then, then everything falls apart. Our whole faith falls apart if he's not telling the truth here. So, so what are we to make of that? Well, I want to bring a few different perspectives to this experience and, and a way to think about your prayers that you have prayed or are praying in light of this promise. First, I... I want to encourage you to make sure you're really praying in his name. I don't want to overstate this because I don't think Jesus intended for, for me to be praying and, and, and making requests and then thinking to myself, I, I hope I'm in his name. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm praying in his name and, and never knowing for sure. I don't, that would kind of undercut the promise, right? If, if Jesus thinks that we're just going to be anxious about whether we're in his name or not and we can never know, then, then the promise means nothing. So I don't want to overstate this because I don't, I don't think that it's hard to know for a believer if you're praying in his name. To, to, to be a believer is to pray in his name. But if we think about practically what it means to believe in him, to make requests according to his will, to seek his glory, 
then there are times when we might say the words in Jesus' name, amen, while not actually praying in his name. And, and this can be a reason why he's not answering our prayers. Think about these words from James. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? If part of praying in Jesus' name is praying for the sake of his glory, then whenever we make requests that are rooted in our own selfish desires, or whenever we're seeking our own glory in in our prayers, we, we, we have stopped praying in his name. No matter what we say at the end of our prayers, we're just like a husband who tells his wife, I love you, and then goes and cheats on her. We're adulterous. We're trying to be friends with the world and friends with God at the same time, and we can't pray in Jesus' name while we're trying to spend our requests on our own passions, on our own desires, on our own lives. So practically speaking, part of praying in his name is, is, is both to believe in him and also to repent for the sake of his name. As believers, we should always come repenting in prayer. We should always begin by believing who he is, turning to him and repenting of our sins, turning away from our passions, drawing near to God in repentance, and then making our requests in Jesus' name. And so, so that's one possibility when it seems like Jesus is saying no to your prayers, is do you need to repent? Do you need to turn away from self-glory and turn to the glory of Christ? Do you, need to, do you need to start seeking his name instead of your own life and your own desires and your own passions? But let's assume, let's assume that you've repented, that, that you, you are praying in Jesus' name. Whatever, whatever the qualifications are, you're, you're doing it. You are praying in his name. And if you're a believer who's praying according to the scriptures with a repentant, believing heart, then, then Jesus says he will say yes to you, but, but what if he still says no? What then? Well, Jesus, Jesus would tell us, keep on praying. That's another way to think about it. He, he would say, keep on praying. There, there's an occasion in the Gospel of Luke when he tells his, his disciples a parable, and he says that he, he wants them to know this so that they can learn they ought always to pray. They ought always to pray and never lose heart. So Jesus tells his disciples a story to, to, to encourage them, never stop praying, don't lose heart. He says there's this widow, and, and she has been unjustly treated, and she's going to the judge in the city, and this judge is ungodly and unloving, and he doesn't care about her at all. And, and she just badgers him day after day after day until this ungodly judge just says, fine, I'll do what you want. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. Just, just get away. Just, just don't bother me anymore. I'm tired of you coming and badgering me. That's the story he tells. And he says, if an ungodly judge will eventually say yes to this widow, how much more will your Father in heaven hear and respond to your prayers? And his point is that God is not like the ungodly judge. 
God is loving. God is inclined to, to your good. God wants to, to bless you. God, God wants to answer your prayers. And so, so believe in who God is and know that, that if this is even true in, in the real world, how much more will God listen to your prayers? Don't lose heart. Don't stop praying. Keep making that request. Don't give up. Don't assume that he has said no forever. And so right now, if you are making a request, if, there, if there's something in your life that you are praying about, and you know this, this would glorify Christ, this is according to his will, keep praying. Don't give up. Keep praying for that person. Keep praying for that situation. Don't lose heart. He's made a promise to us. But finally, we know that sometimes a prayer was not answered. We know, we know that there are situations where, where that situation has come and gone and Jesus said, no. Has this promise failed? I don't believe it has. L- look at verse 13 again. Why does, G- why does Jesus make this promise in verse 13? Why does he make it? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus tells us here that when we pray in his name and when he answers, God the Father receives glory in his son's work. God the Father is glorified. And in telling us this, Jesus is telling us what his ultimate priority is. What is Jesus' ultimate desire? The glory of his Father. What Jesus wants most is for his Father to be glorified. That's his chief aim, his ultimate goal. Now, if praying in Jesus' name, follow me here, praying in his name if part of that is praying according to his will and for his glory, and Jesus tells us, my will is the glory of my Father, my, my glory is his glory, that then whenever we're praying in his name, no matter what the request you're making is specifically, there will be a fundamental request underneath of it. Whatever you're asking for, whatever it might be, there is a fundamental request underneath that. And that request for anyone praying in his name is the glory of the Father and the Son. When we pray to Jesus in his name, what we want most is, Father, glorify your name in your Son. And what we're doing when we pray is we are searching out what God is doing in the world, and we're seeing the people that he has brought us into contact with, and, and we, we're trying to search out, Jesus, I think that you're, you're doing this. I think you're working here, and I, and I think this would glorify your name, so I'm going to make this request to you believe in your promise, but if Jesus says no to that specific request, what what I can tell you this morning is that he is not saying no to the fundamental desire you have. He is not saying no to the fundamental desire that his Father will be glorified. Here's what we need to understand this morning, that every time we pray in Jesus' name, the Father is glorified through the Son. Every single request that you make in Jesus' name, though the specific request might not always be yes, the fundamental desire of your prayer is yes every time. Every prayer you pray will lead, will lead to the Father being glorified in the Son. Revelation uses this this phrase, this image of, of the prayers of the saints in the throne room of God. As the angels worship Christ, 
there's incense in the throne room, and, and, and these, this incense represents the prayers of the saints. So every time you pray, every request you make is adding to the worship of the Father and the Son in heaven. And though we may not see it now, one day we will see that there was not a single request prayed in his name that God did not hear and respond to for the sake of his glory in Christ. And so you can pray with joy, pray with confidence, pray with anticipation that God is going to respond to this prayer. Jesus is going to say yes to this prayer. He's going to use this prayer, this specific prayer, to glorify his Father. That can bolster us with confidence. So believe Jesus' promise. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So we have an unbelievable claim and we have an incredible promise. The unbelievable claim is you will do greater works than me. You will do greater works than me. And then the incredible promise is I will do whatever you ask in my name. Okay? Now I want us to notice something. Who is doing the work in that first statement? You will do greater works than me. Who's working? You are. We are. Believers are. We're doing the work. You will do greater works than me. And and the next statement, I will do whatever you ask. Who's doing the work? Jesus. I will do it. I will do it. And, and, And the first statement, we are doing the work by the power of the Spirit. And in the second statement, Jesus is doing the work in response to our prayers. And putting those together reveals a crucial relationship between what we do and what Jesus does. And and this brings us to the main idea. This, This is where everything is driving out today. Jesus is working through us. Jesus is working through us. To, to make that extended, an extended version of that, here, here, here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is working salvation. He's working salvation through our gospel proclamation by the Spirit in response to our prayers for the glory of the Father. He's working salvation through our proclamation of the gospel by the Spirit in response to our prayers for the glory of the Father. That's the vision Jesus gives us. He says, I'm going to do mighty acts of salvation as you proclaim the gospel in the power of the Spirit. I'm going to respond to your prayers by doing what you ask, namely saving people, bringing them from death to life. I'm going to do that to the glory of the Father. He is working through us in the world for the glory of God. The, the, the book of Acts, Luke, Luke begins, and he, he says, in my former book, Luke, he, he says, in my former book, I, I wrote of all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then the rest of the book looks at what Jesus continued to do and continued to teach through his apostles, filled with the Spirit, in the world. Jesus is working through the church. He is working through us, and he's specifically working through our proclamation and through our prayers. And those two need to always be together. The word of Christ and prayers to Christ is how Jesus works for the glory of God. And this morning, he is calling us to engage in this work. He's calling us to give ourselves to this work with all we have. He's calling us to work hard as he works in and through us. 
And so to, cl to close, this one, four quick applications. First, remember the greatest work. Remember the greatest work. He gave himself for us. He died on the cross for our sins. And then he said, it is finished. It is done. Your sins are paid for. The way is open. Life is available. Eternal life is secured for those who put their faith in me. And we need to remember that greatest work or else we're not going to even care to work hard in prayer. We're not going to care to go preach the gospel. We need to remember what Jesus has done for us, his greatest work, and let it fuel us each day of our lives. Second, work hard in prayer. Work hard in prayer. And you need to work hard in prayer because prayer is hard work. Prayer is hard work. It takes focus. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes thoughtfulness. Work hard in prayer because Jesus has made this promise to us. Oswald Chambers says of this text, prayer is the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Any work that happens in our lives is going to start with prayer. It's Jesus responding to our prayers. And so don't seek to do anything for Christ if you are not starting doing the greater work, the harder work of praying for him to, for him to work. So work hard in prayer. Work hard in proclamation. Work hard to share the gospel. Be creative. Move toward people. Uh, get to know them. Find ways to get the gospel to people because it's through the word of Christ that people are transformed from death to life, transferred from judgment to eternal life. Jesus said in John 9, we must do the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. Night is coming. And so work hard in the daytime, in the day of salvation, to proclaim the gospel. But then finally, rest, rest in Jesus' promise. You know, this, this passage, Jesus does not say, whoever believes in me could do greater works than I do. Hypothetically, they could do it if, if they do the right things, if they set their life up the right way. They could do it. He says, whoever believes in me will do greater works than I do. That's a promise that he makes to us. It's a statement of reality. It's not a hypothetical statement. It's, it's, it's a true statement of believers that we can rest in, that Jesus is working through us. He is working through you. He will do his great work through your life. You can rest in that and know that because it is finished on the cross, one day it will be fully realized when his kingdom returns. So I want to call you to do great work for God. Do great things for God, yes, but, but pray, pray great prayers to God and anticipate that God is going to do his work through you because of what Christ has done for us. Let's meditate on that now as we sing and respond with our hearts and our lives. You can stand and we'll sing together.